So, Father, we gather together this morning on a very cold, <clears throat> blustery day, and we come together corporately, Lord. Many of us here able to make it physically, many, I suspect, coming via uh, watching through our screens and through our, our live stream, but Lord, <clears throat> rejoicing that as your people, we are given the privilege of gathering together and serving one another and caring for one another and engaging in gospel ministry together, sitting under the authority of your word, Lord God, and the proclamation of your word as we will do now, but caring for one another in so many different ways here within the church body. And we're not the only ones who do that, Lord. We rejoice that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing this very thing across right here on the south side of Indianapolis today and uh, all the way across this nation and to the othermost parts of the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are engaged in ministry, engaged in corporate worship and fellowship, engaged in, in uh, walking out their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we partner with them this morning, Lord God. We pray your blessing upon ourselves and upon them and asking, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit among us that you would show yourself to us and teach us, Lord God, who you are. Help us to embrace you, Lord God, further and further every single day of our lives, every time we come to worship, Lord, that we are learning and growing and being equipped and being challenged and being rebuked where we need to be rebuked and being rebuilt, Lord God, by the power of your Spirit. So I pray that you would do these good things for us again today as you have done so many times for us at LifePoint. Show us your favor, Lord God. Demonstrate your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy to us and to your church at large. God, we pray that you would do that for our missionaries as well. Thankful, Lord God, for their ministry and for their service and for their willingness to send others on into the field or to go themselves into the field. Father, where the fields are white unto the harvest, and therefore we send those who will go and demonstrate the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and reap the benefits of those who come to know Jesus Christ. And so we commend our missionaries to you today that we send out with this gospel message. We pray for them. We ask your blessing upon them. We pray specifically today for Kyung Min and Injin and for their work and their ministry in the country, the nation of Georgia. Lord, thankful for their ministry there, thankful for their ministry here among us here at LifePoint for many years. But now as we send them to that nation, Lord, would you be a blessing to them and through them. Be gracious to them, Lord God, as they develop new partnerships and as they learn a new, a new language, another language, Father, for, for them a fourth language that they are learning. And thankful, Lord God, for their perseverance and their willingness to go through the struggles that it takes to engage in this language acquisition and uh, learning a new culture and engaging with new people, Father, for their work amongst Koreans there in Georgia and for their work with Georgians as well and for their connections with the local church. Lord, would you bless them and would you go before them, help them, Lord, as they raise further support for the work there. Engage with them, we pray. Father, we pray for them as a husband and a wife. Bless their marriage. Bless their ministry. And Father, we are thankful for our partnership with them. And now, Lord God, as we turn to your word, meet us in this prophecy of Habakkuk. Teach us, Lord God, as we spend the next few months learning from this book, from this prophecy. Give us the words that we need to hear, Lord, 
Teach us, Holy Spirit, illuminate this text for us. Guide us through this study, Lord. We love you, we worship you, and we commend ourselves to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, this morning we do begin this new study in Habakkuk, and I'm glad that you braved the weather to come here, either personally or physically. I know we've got quite a few people on live stream this morning as well. It's a good day to live stream. But I'm glad that you were able to uh, fight the elements and get here in person and to worship with us today. So we start a new series in Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk is not a a book that most people would say, yeah, it's one of my favorites, right? It is a prophecy from the Old Testament and a unique prophecy at that. And I'm uh, actually excited to engage in it. And I hope at least after we get engaged in it, you will find a budding excitement to learn more from this prophecy as well. Habakkuk lived in troubled times. Habakkuk lived in a time when when life was not the way he wanted it to be, and therefore his time equates to our time. Struggles and difficulties and injustice. And the purpose of this preaching series is not to browbeat us into feeling like, wow, life is terrible and everything is bad and and, uh, nothing has the positive uh, slant on it that we're hoping for, because we're going to see some of that in this prophecy. Habakkuk is distressed, and so we're going to have to look at some of his distress, and we're going to have to kind of feel that distress, as it were, and put ourselves into Habakkuk's shoes. And I think in some instances, it will be difficult to do that. We're talking about a stretch here of about 2,700 years in history. Habakkuk lives towards the end of the 7th century BC in the the mid-600s BC. And so we're talking about a long, long time Ago. And yet, I think we're going to see how things have changed and how things have stayed the same, and how life in this world really, in many ways, is fleshing itself out in very similar ways to the way that life was being fleshed out for Habakkuk and for his contemporaries as well. What I hope that we will see in Habakkuk is that God is still a sovereign God, and God is working in our lives, and God has a plan, and that plan is for a future. And for those of us who knew Christ, it is a glorious future that God has set before us. And so we'll try to draw that out. There will be some weeks, like this week, where there's really nothing positive that we can glean from the text itself. It's just a, it's a, it's a, a statement of sorrow that Habakkuk will bring before God. But we will try to work into that some hope for the future, some future hope for us. Uh, And some of the texts will allow us to do that very, very naturally as well. And so we'll be in Habakkuk. I haven't uh, worked out the entire series. I've got it kind of worked out uh, through mid-February, and we'll definitely be in it in mid-February. And my guess is we'll be in it in mid-March. We won't be in it for a real long time. It's only three chapters, but we will spend enough time, hopefully, to draw out the major themes and to bring them into our own lives as well. So we're in the book of Habakkuk, which is in the Old Testament, if it helps you. It's squeezed between uh, Nahum and Zephaniah. (laughs) If that doesn't help you, then it's towards the end of the Old Testament, um, and you may want to go to the front of your Bibles and kind of figure out what page it is in your Bible or go to your Uh, your iPad or whatever it is that you have with you uh, to pull up Habakkuk. But if you've brought your Bibles with you and you'd like to find it, it is there towards the end of the Old Testament. You'll have to root around. Habakkuk is in what we call the minor prophets, 12 prophecies that are shorter books, not minor because they don't matter very much, minor because they're smaller books here 
in, uh, in the Old Testament prophetic corpus. And so that's where we're going to be today, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God as we always do as we read from His Word. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting at verse 1, reading through verse 4 this morning. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so just a quick overview of Habakkuk and his times. We're talking about somewhere in the, in the late 7th century B.C. And we do not know much about Habakkuk or uh, what time he was specifically writing, but we can glean from the things that he says in his prophecy that he is living towards the end of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom has been conquered about 130 years prior to the events here that are taking place in southern, the southern part of Israel in Judah. Uh, the northern part, uh, Israel proper, has been taken over by the Assyrian Empire, and they have been scattered to the four winds, so to speak. Judah survived that initial onslaught from the Assyrians, but they will not survive an onslaught by those who overtook the Assyrians, the, the, uh, what we call the Neo-Babylonians or the Babylonian Empire that came together with the Medes and overtook Assyria and, and, and took over the capital of Nineveh. And eventually the Babylonians grew and the Medes diminished and we have a, a massive Babylonian Empire at that time. Judah has remained uh, stalwart in their defense against the Babylonians. But God is now bringing judgment upon the people of, of Judah, and Habakkuk is the one who sees this and sees what God is about to do and is distressed over all that is taking place. And so we're talking about, in case you care, probably somewhere between 620 B.C. and 605 B.C. that Habakkuk is writing. He's a contemporary with Jeremiah, the prophet, and uh, living in times that nobody wants to live in, particularly if you're a Jew. I suppose if you're a Babylonian, it's a good time to live, but it's not a good time to live if you are Jewish. And in case you want to see what this looks like on a map, and I know you do, here it is on a map. This is what the kingdom of Babylon looked like about that time in history, and it's a massive, massive empire here uh, throughout the entire Middle East and uh, moving down into the capital of Babylon here. Here is the southern kingdom of Judah, very small kingdom here. And the Babylonians eventually will rule over all of this. Now keep in mind, they'll rule over all of this as well. They'll rule over this, but this is mostly desert. Nobody is really hanging out in that part of the world at that time. Babylon will send multiple armies into this area. They will meet the Egyptian army at a place called Carchemish in 605, and there the Egyptian army will be devastated by the Babylonians, and therefore Judah can no longer rely on Egyptian as an ally, whom God told them all along you shouldn't rely on Egypt as an ally anyway. And therefore Judah is left on its own, and so Babylon will send a massive army into Judah. They'll come this way as army 
armies always do in that day and age, and really kind of in this day and age as well. It's called the Fertile Crescent, and it is the area where you can travel and actually have supplies. If you go this way, your army dies before it gets there from a lack of supplies and water, okay? And so that's what's happening, and uh, Habakkuk is seeing this develop. He's seeing Babylon uh, rise up, and he's also going to hear from God himself that God is raising up the Babylonians to bring judgment on Judah, and Habakkuk can't believe his ears that God would bring judgment on his own people, the Jews, the Israelites, by a nation like the Babylonians. He is perplexed and he is in distress. And so here's the overall theme of our preaching series through the book of Habakkuk. As our faith matures, And as Habakkuk's faith matures, and we'll see Habakkuk's faith mature over these three chapters of this prophecy, but as our faith matures with Habakkuk as we read this text, we grow in our acceptance of God's design to bring sinners into judgment, to bring sinners into judgment, and to establish His own righteous reign over all the peoples of the earth. So Habakkuk will grow in his spiritual maturity, as it were, and we hopefully will grow in our Christian maturity, our spiritual maturity, so that we will come to not fully understand because Habakkuk will not fully understand what God is doing. In fact, he won't even agree with it, but he will come to at least begin to understand God's decision to bring his own judgment upon sinners in this world and to reign over the nations of this world as God chooses to reign over the nations of this world. This is what I hope we will begin to see and understand as we walk through this prophecy of Habakkuk. What I'm going to ask you to do today, brothers and sisters, as we come out of just this text today and this message today, is that we would hate what is evil, that we would cling to what is good, and that we would be ready that we would be watchful, that we would be a people who are ready for God to move as God has promised that He is going to move in our lives and in our history as well. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and be ready, be watchful. And so Habakkuk receives a vision from the God. It's a vision that he saw, the text says. Now, what that likely means is that he doesn't necessarily see it with his eyes, but Habakkuk has so uh, uh, involved himself in this conversation with God. He has so kind of uh, immersed himself in this relationship with God that, that this prophecy is not arising from his own subconscious or from his own mind, but he is hearing a word from God that is so clear and so explicit that it's as if he saw this laid out before him. Now, some of the prophets did see incredible visions from God, and so we're certainly not denying that God can do that. But here we see that the prophecy is laid out primarily in a narrative form. And so it's likely that what Habakkuk is is saying here is he saw this prophecy in a sense that he has come to, to incorporate it so much into his being that it's as if God is showing him as he lays out this narrative that we're going to be addressing today. Habakkuk receives a very deeply personal oracle, he calls it, 
or a vision, or that word can also be translated a burden. This is Habakkuk's burden, and he's going to take this burden, and he's going to lay it at the feet of God, and he's going to do it in such a way that is, he's going to have to be careful. He's going to have to be careful about how he does this because he's questioning God's justice. And we need to be careful about this as well. We certainly don't want to come away from a book like Habakkuk and think, oh, I can say whatever I want to God, however I want to say it. I can accuse God. I can put God in the dock and say, now you'll listen to me and you'll listen to my complaints and you'll respond. God doesn't do that. But Habakkuk will walk a fine line, a faithful prophet who will, who will put a burden before God, lay a burden before God, and essentially say, will you answer this question? I've been crying out to you in prayer, and I'm hearing nothing in response. When will you respond, God, to this burden that I am laying before you? Clearly heard by Habakkuk. And so, friends, in many ways, we are being invited into a personal conversation here. This is unique, not absolutely unique in the, in the Old Testament, but very unique in the, what we call the genre of prophetic literature in the Old Testament. It's a unique in, uh, invitation into a private conversation. But here's the interesting thing. This is very private for Habakkuk, but as God will respond to Habakkuk, he will respond in the plural, or in other words, he's not speaking past Habakkuk, but he is speaking to Habakkuk as a prophet for his people, and so what he says to Habakkuk is for all of his people. Just like what, what God says to Habakkuk then is for all of his people now. There is something for us in the 21st century to glean from this prophecy here in the late 7th century. God is not speaking past Habakkuk. He's speaking to him, but he is a prophet who represents the people of God, and therefore God is speaking to his people. Habakkuk is known as the prophet, and that's all we know about him. And you can read books and, and commentaries that will tell us what we think we might know about Habakkuk, but what they're telling you is they're telling you what they think we might know about Habakkuk. The reality is we don't know hardly anything about this prophet. We know he's called the prophet, which means he's probably fairly well known in Israel. He's the prophet. But other than that, we don't know where he does his prophecy, where he lives, what he does, what his status was in, in life. We don't know any of those things except that he was a prophet or the prophet of God. Now, he's not the only prophet at that time because he's a contemporary of Jeremiah and probably overlapping with some other prophets from the Old Testament as well. But here he is just called the prophet, and that's virtually all we know of this man. And I think Part of the reason why that's all we know of this man is the prophecy is what is important, not the prophet in this storyline, right? Habakkuk is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. And therefore, we don't need to know much about Habakkuk. What we need to know is what God has to say to Habakkuk and through Habakkuk. And therefore, we don't get a whole lot of information about who Habakkuk is. He's just the prophet, and he's receiving this vision, this oracle. He's putting this burden before the Lord, and we get the privilege of being able to see how this conversation is now taking place. It reminds me a bit of John the Baptist in the New Testament, right? John the Baptist is the, is the prophet par excellence of the New Testament, right? He bridges over the old covenant to the new covenant. Jesus says he's the greatest of all men ever born of women. The great prophet and the great man, John the Baptist, 
But we see in the Gospels a story of John after Jesus has come on the scene, and John has his own disciples who are, who are very jealous for John's um, reputation. And they see that Jesus is getting more people coming to him. More crowds are going to Jesus than to John. And he's baptizing more people than John baptized, although the Scriptures tell us it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who baptized in his name. Nevertheless, for John's disciples, they see all these people flocking to Jesus, and they're going away from John the Baptist, and they come to John and say, what are we going to do about this? Right? This man is being elevated. He's drawing more disciples than you're drawing. And John the Baptist responds and says, we can only receive what God gives us in life. That's all we can do in life. All we can do is receive what God gives us. And at this time, John says, I am like the one who attends the groom. And when the bride comes into the house or when the bride is brought and presented to the groom, the one who accompanies the, uh, accompanies the groom, they rejoice that the bride has come. They don't elevate themselves and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the attendant of the groom. I want my time on the scene too. John says, I'm the one who is attending the groom, the Messiah. And the bride is coming to him. His people are coming to him. And therefore, John says, from now on, he must increase and I must decrease, right? Habakkuk is allowing God, whether he wants to or not, to increase, and Habakkuk has decreased. We don't know who Habakkuk really was, other than what we have in this text before us. But we do know that something wicked this way comes. Something wicked has infiltrated Israel, and it's been there for some time. And it's been in our culture, in our nation as well. It was a violent time. It was a destructive time. It was a time where there was no justice. Sounds a lot like our time, a violent time, a destructive time, a time when there is no justice, when people are being put to, put to death for no reason whatsoever, when the innocent are dying, as the innocent die in our own nation by the millions before they can even draw their first breath. It was unjust times, as we live in unjust times. And Habakkuk is feeling it, he's living in it, he's experiencing it, and he doesn't like it, and he's wondering why God isn't changing things the way that God has promised that he would change things. Habakkuk seems to be crying out, God, we are your people. Why aren't you caring for us? And why are you caring for other people? And injustice is outside of Israel, but it's inside as well. We are living in perverted times, he cries out. They are wicked days as we live in wicked days. It's been a consistent storyline throughout human history. And I think people used to understand that and accept it more clearly and readily than we tend to today. The cry out of the past was, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Where the cry today in our culture is, what is wickedness anyway? Who's to say what's wicked? Who's to say what's sin? Maybe it's bad for you, but it's not bad for me. Why are we constantly talking about bad things? Why are we constantly saying that's a sin and that's wrong? Doesn't God love everybody the same? Doesn't Jesus die for everybody equally? Doesn't he love us all equally? Why are we even talking about wickedness? Why are we talking about injustice? Who's to say what's wicked or unjust? 
Times have changed in that way. There was a time when people understood wickedness was wickedness. Disobedience was disobedience. Crime was crime. Injustice was injustice. The perversion of justice was the perversion of justice. And in many ways, friends, in our culture today, we can't even begin to understand that. Something as simple as right and wrong, we have a hard time pinning down. Habakkuk didn't have any trouble pinning that down. He knew what was wrong. His problem was why God wasn't doing anything about that. Notice how Habakkuk will pile on the synonyms for injustice in our text today, just in four verses, right? Violence, iniquity, wrong, destruction, strife, contention, perversion. They're all synonyms for injustice. And that's just in the first four verses. He's living in hard, hard times. And his question is not necessarily a novel question. We see it throughout the Old Testament in particular. We see it some in the New Testament as well. It is the age-old question of lament. And what is the age-old question of lament? It is the question, why? That's the age-old question of lament, right? You've asked that question of God some. I've asked that question of God some. Why? Why did that happen? Why were they taken from me? Why do you allow this? Why is this the trajectory of our culture? Why? 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 It is the age-old question of lament, and therefore it's not novel for Habakkuk. It's his question too. Why? How long, O oh Lord, do we have to tolerate this? Now, don't forget that in the Old Testament and in the New, there are times when God says to His people as well, as well how long will I tolerate you? How long will I put up with you? It's Jesus' question to His disciples, right? How long will I live with ye of little faith? KJV version. You notice that by the ye, I suspect. How long am I going to put up with you? And we're asking the same question sometimes, right? Lord God, how long? Why is this happening? Why does it happen this way? It's dispersed throughout the Scriptures, friends. Here's just a sampling, and I mean a small sampling of it. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from my salvation? Why are you so far away from the words of my groaning? I have cried out to you in the day, and you will not answer me. I cry out to you at night, and I cannot rest. I find no rest. Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah, a contemporary, we suspect, of Habakkuk. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the treacherous uh, thrive in this world that Jeremiah lives in? Job 21, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? And in a roundabout way in the New Testament, in John chapter 9, Jesus is entering into the city of Jericho. There's a man who was born blind. His disciples say to him, do you remember? As Jesus gets down, it appears at the, at the blind man's level as he's there on a mat likely begging and begins to bring healing to his eyes. The disciples ask him, who was it that sinned, Rabbi? Who was it that sinned, Master? This man or his parents that he was born blind? What's the question they're asking Jesus? 
It's the age-old question of lament, isn't it? Why? Why was this guy born blind? They know there's something wrong about that, friends. There's something wrong about someone being born blind in a world that God created and said, this is good. And so for the Jews of Jesus' day, it simply meant one of two things, right? This man sinned in the previous life. Go figure that one out. Or his parents sinned, but somebody sinned because it's not natural to be born blind. And Jesus will answer their question in his own way, primarily by bringing healing to the man who was born blind and by fixing what was wrong as he will fix all wrongs one day. And so it's the age-old question of lament that we say, that we speak to God at times, usually in hushed tones, rarely out loud. Because we're afraid that God won't take kindly to our questions. And so we'll let Habakkuk do the questioning for us and let him take the brunt of God's response. And we'll learn from this dialogue between the two of them. Habakkuk has simply grown weary of living in his own land. Friends, these are his people. This isn't other people. Yes, the Babylonians are coming, and he hates the Babylonians, but he also hates the times he's living in. He's living in his own culture with people with his own language, people he, he knows and understands. He's growing up in his own, his own territory, and he doesn't like it because he's seen how everything is being perverted and how justice isn't there any longer. Now, he'll lament and he'll complain about God's judgment from the Babylonians, but he's concerned about his own people right now. He's concerned about life in Israel right now. And many of the people of Israel, particularly the righteous in Israel, were complaining about these things to God. The sons of Korah, who wrote many of the Psalms, wrote this one in Psalm 44. And this is just a section of Psalm 44. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Listen to the lament of this psalm. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Rise up. You're righteous. This is what Habakkuk will say to God. You're righteous. I know you're righteous. What are you doing? Come on, get up and get moving and bring justice to our land. And we're going to see in God's first response next week, God says, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. And when Habakkuk finds out how he's going to do it, Habakkuk says, oh no, not like that. (laughs) That's not what I asked for. This is how Habakkuk will speak to God. This is how we are invited in to see how God will respond. And it will play out like this in the storyline of Habakkuk. It will play out with Habakkuk's complaint and God's response. Habakkuk will heal the response and he'll complain some more and say, I don't like your response. And God will respond again. And then Habakkuk will respond in chapter 3 with a beautiful psalm of praise. Not a psalm that says, now that you've told me, I understand all of it and I'm on your side. Not at all. A psalm of praise that says, you are God and I am not. And I'm willing to praise you in spite of what you're about to do to the people of Israel. 
Habakkuk says, I live in a time when the law is paralyzed. Verse 4. So the law is paralyzed. That can be translated ignored. Or probably best translation would be the law is numb. Right? The law is there, but it can't seem to feel what's going on. And therefore, just this goes on, but it goes on perverted. Right? It's not that there is no law in Habakkuk's day. There is a law, and the people of Israel know the law of God. They just rejected the law, and therefore now they're living in a time of chaos and a time of injustice. The law is there, but people have ignored the law. And by ignoring the law, they pervert the law. And that's the days that he is living in. And friends, you do not have to look far in our own culture to say, those are the days we are beginning to live in, friends. It's not that the law is not there. It's that the law is perverted. And therefore, injustice moves on. Friends, only the elite enjoy life in a society that's in chaos. Only those who are benefiting from it financially or with power enjoy living in a society that is a society in chaos. It's only them. And Habakkuk isn't one of the elite. And so he's distressed because it's only a small portion of societies that say chaos is a good thing because it elevates them in power and gives them more prestige while everything else burns down around them. And that's the days that Habakkuk is living in. Psalm 12 tells us that the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. And that's the days he's living in, friends, and the days that we are moving into, I fear, in our own culture. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among culture, honored among men. And so there it is. There's Habakkuk's burden. He's laid it before the Lord. He's had the audacity or the courage we're not sure yet which one it is, because we don't know exactly yet. I suspect many of you have read Habakkuk, and you know that Habakkuk will not be struck by lightning. But we're waiting to see what God will do. In fact, Habakkuk later will say, that's exactly what I'm doing, Lord. I've taken my stand on the parapet, and I'm waiting for you to respond to me now. We're going to see how God responds to Habakkuk. But before we leave our passage for today... A word of warning and, I hope, a word of encouragement as well. And it comes from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Let me read this to you. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not suspect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, 
and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, friends, I hope that's a word of encouragement to those of us who know Christ, because what is Jesus talking about there? He's saying, I'm coming back, and I'm going to set things right, and there will be a time of justice, and I will be the one who wields that sword. I will be the one who brings that justice into the world. So be encouraged, friends. Be encouraged if you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're wondering why we're living in wicked days. And where are you, O God? How long, O Lord, will you wait? Jesus says, I am coming. So be encouraged by that. Because he's going to fix what's ailing us. He's going to fix the wrongs in this world. He's going to fix the murders. He's going to fix the wars. He's going to fix the injustice. He's going to fix how we don't care about those with special needs and yet elevate those who are already blessed in a thousand different ways. He's going to fix these things one day. But be warned as well. Because our master comes back and anticipates that we will be at work doing what he's called us to do. That's his expectation for us. He will come and right wrongs. And while he tarries, we are to be those who are carrying out the work that he has given us to do. And for those of you who may be here today who do not know Jesus Christ, a word of warning and encouragement to you as well. And here's the word of warning. When he returns and finds those who have rejected him and his reign on the earth, he will cut them to pieces and he will assign them to where the hypocrites live. And there, friends, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, where's the good news in that? The good news is that God has a plan. And that plan is the return of Jesus Christ. And he will return us to Eden, friends. He will return us to what is right and good and proper, to a world that he said, this is good. That's what he's returning us to. Friends, keep in mind that the iniquity that Habakkuk complains about and has to see that he says in verse 3 is partly his iniquity. It's his iniquity too. It's his sin as well. It isn't just other people making life on this planet difficult, friends. You're making life on this planet difficult, and so am I. We're adding our sin to the sin and injustice of this world. We're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Until we come to know Christ, and until we begin to do what Christ has called us to do, then we become part of the solution. Habakkuk needs to know that it's not just the people of Israel's sin, it's his sin as well. And so at times the Lord makes us look at iniquity and strife and violence and injustice so that we will value our salvation all the more, friends, so that we will see it as Habakkuk sees it, and we will value the salvation that God has brought into our lives. This was my challenge to you last week. Let's go into 2024 rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in what God has done for us. He has saved us from the injustice and the perversion of the law in this world, not only now, but into the future and into eternity as well. And therefore, we should rejoice in our salvation as we look at the sin 
and the injustice all around us that should remind us of the goodness of God and what He has in store for us. And so we may ask, why does the Lord show us this wickedness? And the answer is this, it's in order that He may deliver you from it, friends. He shows it to you so that He may deliver you from it. And when you're delivered from it, you will give praise to God because He's delivered you from wickedness and oppression and strife and chaos and violence and injustice. He's shown it to us, and He's redeemed us from it. And so be watchful, friends, and be prayerful. And for those of you who are here who do not know Jesus Christ, open your eyes to the reality of Jesus Christ and to the hope that God brought through Him as the Messiah, because there is no hope for Habakkuk, friends. There is no hope for Habakkuk except in the reality that God is bringing a Messiah into the world one day. It will be 600 plus years in the future for Habakkuk. It is now almost 2,000 years in the past for us. But that's where hope lies. That's where salvation lies. That's where injustice will become justice and where we will live in the presence of a God who says these things are good, who made this world good, and who will redeem this world and make it good once again. That is our hope, friends, for believers and non-believers alike. Christ has saved us from this world, friends, but He's not only saved us from this world. Now hear this as we close. He saved you from yourself too. He saved you from yourself as well. So be watchful, be prayerful, hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hate what is evil, friends. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good and be watchful and ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, would you help us to be those kind of people here at LifePoint? Would you help us to be those who are clinging to the good and rejecting what is evil and watchful for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to be those people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.